This is from Behind the Spotlight. I am Will Gibbons-Brown, and I've spent the better part of the past 15 years working in uh, theater as a designer, a technician, occasionally a director, occasionally a producer. And uh, throughout that time, I've experienced a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And it's my hope with this podcast uh, to have conversations with my fellow artists in theater and other art forms uh, about topics within our industries that aren't discussed enough or maybe at all. Uh, I'm joined today by someone I've had the privilege of collaborating with on numerous occasions. Uh, We've covered pretty much every aspect of working in theater you can think of throughout our collective careers, and I've known him for, oh, probably about 28 years now. Um, Let's welcome, as our inaugural guest of From Behind the Spotlight, Ed Gibbons-Brown. Ed, thanks for being here. Hi, William. Thank you for asking me to do this. Yeah, I guess we've uh, known each other for about 28 years, as you said, right? Yeah, yeah. You you remember the day we met? I do remember the day we met. You had more hair then. That's that's a bald joke, isn't it? Yeah, one one comfort I can take in my own hair loss is that yours is always going to be a little bit worse than mine. Well, that's what brothers are for. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. We are brothers. Uh, we are brothers, and uh, we we both sort of grew up in theater uh, throughout difficult uh, teenage years, formative years. I think we both turned to community theater in our area as a uh, a place of safety and comfort. Uh, yeah, um, we we were very fortunate uh, in the area we grew up in to have a, a great uh, theater locally that offered us both um, an escape from the real world and and accepted us and and gave us a very uh, familial environment um why don't you uh why don't you give us a brief bio uh 75 words or less during uh during my sort of formative years i did a lot of acting in community theater as well as a little bit of behind the scenes work and and things like that um moving into College years, I, I majored in, in performing arts, uh, wrote and produced some children's theater, and then ultimately in my mid-20s, co-founded with you a community theater production company called Hatmakers Attic Productions, which operated for about four years before I burned out and gave up. Uh, yeah, and I, uh, you know, I, I was with, with you and Hatmakers for two and a half, three of those years. Um, before pursuing my own my own career, um, so today I want to discuss something uh, within the arts and more specifically theater. Um, it's something that I think is probably very important to both of us, um, as we've seen not just ourselves um, but coworkers and friends struggle to cope and manage, and uh, it's mental health. And and personally, you know, my my own my own struggles with it. Uh, started around the same time as I found theater, probably a little bit before, because theater was theater was what I turned to as a coping mechanism, and um, that was that was good enough for years. Theater theater was a great outlet for me. It was a great release for me. Um, the creative process was was what my mind needed to to cope, um, and and. Given that, I, I began to pour uh, literally everything I had within me into theater, 
um, sacrificing relationships and sacrificing a life outside of theater. And, and that was enough to keep my head above water for a while. Uh, and then whether it was through the stress and pressure of a summer sock uh, season, uh, my own insecurities and low self-esteem about whether or not I was good enough to be working where I was working, some combination of all of that, but suddenly theater was no longer enough to keep my head above water. And so I sank and I sank fast and I sank hard. And it wasn't until I was willing to talk about what I was dealing with internally uh, with the people around me that I started to come back up. And, and with that experience, um, I want to be able to have these conversations so that other people feel equally uh, comfortable speaking up and accepted for not just their talents on stage or behind the stage, but the struggles they're dealing with internally. You know, I think that uh, that my experience uh, was very similar to yours, at least in the, the first half of it. Um, you know, m much like you're saying, uh, theater became a safe escape for me. It became a, a haven from a lot of trauma that was going on. Uh, going to the theater became uh, a place to explore myself as a as a as a person uh, outside of the identity that that was that was sort of caging me in from these these this traumatic home life. You know, it, it and these are some of the benefits that theater has for mental health in general. Uh, you know, it can we could, I imagine we'll talk about this a little bit more, but it. Uh, very briefly, it, it gives you a support system. Uh, it gives you a common goal. It gives you expression. It gives you interaction and movement, and and uh, and a journey that comes to a catharsis at the end. And that's that's fantastic. Um, I think, however, that that what happened for me is that my relationship with art, or my self image of myself as an artist, took over the actual beneficial mechanism that art can have and sort of combined with mental health issues related to trauma and PTSD and all this stuff and uh, and took it in a in a direction that was not healthy. You know, I think that, that uh, it became about my idea of myself as an artist rather than about doing the art. And that was simply unsustainable and not healthy. And, and it became toxic for my mental health and something that I couldn't continue with after a certain point. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, um, we'll discuss in a little bit more detail in a little bit um, about what, what that, that balance of, of being an artist and how that, that translates to the real world and, and where you find that, that in between where you can sustain your art but also sustain your your mental health and and how you you interact with the world outside of a theater and and something you or or in fact whether whether you interact with the world outside of theater at all yeah ab absolutely yeah. and and something you have talked about with me off uh, off the record the record um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is uh, the, the the similarities you have seen between theater and where you were working predominantly 
now as a wage earner in the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you want to just touch a little bit on those similarities as we move forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's also interesting to note that the thing that pulled me into the restaurant industry more as more than just a job was the creative impulse. Uh, like anybody who is pursuing art, I was waiting tables and ended up behind the bar, ended up bartending, ended up becoming very, very interested in cocktails. That became a creative outlet for me, and, and my creative impulses migrated in that direction for several years. And so I, I dove very deeply into that industry. And in a lot of ways, it was very familiar. In a lot of ways, looking back at my experience in theater, looking over my experience in restaurants, and also uh, using whatever insight I might have to consider the mental health in, uh, issues in both industries. Uh, I find theater and restaurants to be very similar all up and down the bunny trail. Primary, simil primary, primary similarities, um, there are similar personality types, both because a lot of people who are artists are also working in restaurants, but also because both restaurants and theater catch people who either do not pursue more traditional avenues of, of employment or who end up there because that didn't work out. Um, the arts can be a safety net, and restaurants I wouldn't call a safety net per se, but a net. Uh, you have similar, similarly, I mean, dysfunctional is is a word that applies, but it's not, you know, I'd like a word that has a more positive connotation, but, you know, um, people who are, who are different in some way are, uh, exist in both industries. People who pour a lot of themselves into it exist in both industries, especially in the back of the house in restaurants. People who are cooking the food are often very dedicated. There's a performative nature to both industries. You know, walking backstage of a show, you're going to have a similar feeling as you would have walking into the kitchen of a restaurant. There's a distinction between the performative nature of what goes on on one side of the door or curtain and what goes on on the other side of it. There is a lot of financial vulnerability in both industries. Both industries are sort of systematically stacked in such a way that the people working in them are vulnerable at all times financially, emotionally, uh, and don't often have good mechanisms for dealing with those things. They both require a lot of long hours. In both industries, people develop a strange sense of pride about the numbers of hours they're working. Both industries have a stigma surrounding mental illness, and both industries have a common sense that the show must go on at all costs, and that the people are dispensable. The priority is the show going on, whether it's a literal performance or service in a restaurant. And the, the crossover between theater professionals and, and people who are working in restaurants is one of the big common threads in theaters that, you know, while you're out there auditioning and, and going on job interviews, working on your design portfolio to earn a living, you're waiting tables and, and serving at the bar. And the big common theme there is instability. Instability, which is, is never good for mental health. Well, and that's one of the one of the attractions to waiting tables mm -hmm. while also trying to pursue a career in theater is what is perceived as flexibility in working in the restaurant industry. You know, flexibility in schedule, flexibility in hours, and all that. 
is also a very red flag sign for instability. It's also a bit of a myth. Uh, restaurant culture, in my experience, does not allow for that kind of flexibility. Uh, I think that the benefit for people who are pursuing the arts of a restaurant job is if they're in a major urban center, they can quit that job and find another one. That's the real flexibility. You can quit your job. But that's only true in urban centers. In New York City, you can quit a restaurant and work in another one very easily. However, if you are doing that in New York City, you are not making money off of the arts. Only, I think, two. Per I have a stat here somewhere. I'll look it up. Only 2% of artists uh, can actually support themselves. Let me just find that stat and source it really quick. Here it is. This is from The Guardian. This is from The Guardian from 2019. Only 2% of actors make a living. So they're not making money from the arts. They're supporting themselves from restaurant jobs which they can quit if they get the part in the show and then find another one. However, they can only really do that in urban centers where rent is very high and the restaurant job is also perhaps not as, you know, not putting them in a financially secure position. So the, the whole thing is defined by instability and, and depending on the restaurant, there's lots of different kinds of restaurants, lots of different attitudes towards schedule flexibility. In my personal experience, which is almost 10 years in a number of different restaurants, they get as pissed at you if you try to be flexible with your schedule as any other job would. So, and you you um, mentioned a few keywords that I'd like to start expanding on. One of the big ones is burnout. Mm -hmm. um, and there's uh, there's an article on uh, theaterartlife.com uh, by Josh Lore. Uh, Josh, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show. And the it's it's a lot about. Uh, the exhaustion and burnout that comes from working in theater, uh, and and he he asked the question um, that if if exhaustion and burnout are so common in our business, why do we persist in pretending that this is not the case? And that ties into the attitude that we've developed towards the hours we are asked to work, and it becomes a point of pride for lack of a better way of putting it you you know we i remember 2015 i think it was i did a production of mary poppins and due to the rigging needs of the show i couldn't do my lighting hang until the riggers had come in and installed their pulleys and their tracks and everything like that i had to keep the the air clear until they had come in and installed all that and what that the way the schedule fell, I ended up working 56 hours out of 72 in a row. And it got to the point where I was literally hallucinating. And it was something that I bragged about at the time. You know, I pulled a 56-hour shift. And, you know, people didn't tell me that that probably wasn't okay. They laughed, we laughed, and those hours continued. And the... You know, you have to get the the work done at all costs attitude and the look what I accomplished by not sleeping for two days attitude are incredibly destructive. And one of the main camaraderie moments during a tech week is, you know, we're all going to pull these hours together when that attitude should be we should all work on finding another way to do this so that we are taking care of ourselves. It's 
the case in restaurants too, and I think of it as sort of a perversion of passion that is taken advantage of by the structure of the business and how the business makes a profit. Um, now, this will be something I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how much this does or does not compare to the business structure of putting on theater. But chefs in a restaurant subscribe to the same attitude. The show must go on at any cost. The work has to get done at any cost. Chefs in a restaurant are also creatives. They're creative artists, and they're very passionate. And so they're provided with an opportunity to do something, and they want to do it. They want their vision to be realized. They want to see it done. And they're given the context to do it in a situation that is impossible to do it in a healthy way. So they try anyway. Uh, they work 18 hours a day, six days a week, seven days a week. And they manage that stress with unhealthy habits, with drug and alcohol abuse, with self-destructive behavior, etc., etc. And I think a big part of it is is the is is the structure is the way the labor is structured and i think this may apply to, to theater as well you know the stage manager who is working outside of normal production hours outside of uh or or in your case you know the lighting designer who is working outside of tech hours outside of rehearsal hours outside of production hours to get everything done is often this is often the only way shows get up at all i remember you know one of the one of the last productions that, that i did for hatmaker's attic myself the stage manager and the costume designer stayed in the theater painting the set until sunrise uh, during one of the last days of tech because that was the only way the set was going to get painted. You know, and, and there is definitely a camaraderie to that. There's a, a feeling of, look what we did, but it's not a sustainable way to operate something that is ultimately a business, and especially when the whole thing relies on people doing things like that. The the way the labor is structured doesn't equate to the desired result uh, and people have to compensate to make up the difference. You know, if you need a show to be lit by Thursday and the riggers, and you can't let it till the riggers come in and the riggers are coming in on Wednesday, then the only way that show is getting lit by Thursday is if you, the lighting designer, are there all night. So the solution is to just say, we're not going to have the show lit till next week, have an extra week of tech, do what you have to do. The problem is that turns into money out of the producer's so, pocket. And, you know? and it's also a point of pride for the artist. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've talked with, with other people in the industry uh, about the only way things will change is if a show legitimately cannot open. But mm -hmm. the only way a show legitimately cannot open is if we don't get things ready Mm -hmm. And personally, I won't let that happen. I will do what is necessary at both, whatever both, cost. Both because you're an artist, but also because you're replaceable, right? And, right. and we're vulnerable. All, we're all incredibly vulnerable. Everyone, mm -hmm. everyone working in theater can be replaced. There's mm -hmm. always someone waiting off stage left, ready to do your job for less money. Mm -hmm. And it leads to what is supposed to be an incredibly accepting and safe space which in many which in many ways it is and in many ways it, it is what you know people need but at the same time it's it's also an incredibly stressful 
feeling to be going through the production process, know that the time allotted to you is not enough to get something done, and knowing that if you don't get it done, you're easily replaceable. So it, it seems to me that there's there's two separate components here. Uh, you know, you will get to show up to any cost for two reasons: one, because you're an artist, and two, because you're vulnerable and replaceable. And I think you can you can separate those into two different discussions. The second one being broader, well, not broader, but but more focused on the industry at large and how financially, economically vulnerable the people who work in it are. And the first being more emotional or personal, the artistic impulse to see a vision realized at all costs. Do you think that that is the way that artists should think about their work? You know, artists artists feel things on extremes. You know, we feel, mm -hmm. we feel the highest of highs and we also feel the lowest of lows. And that drives our passion towards what we're doing. And I've always justified the hours that I've put in the relationships I've sacrificed, the, the friends I've lost. You know, I've justified all that because there really is something amazing come opening night looking at what you've all accomplished together. That the, the you know, for lack of a better way of putting it, the opening night high, <laughs> may, you know, it, it warps your memory of the struggles that you've gone through to get there. Yeah, and I think that that goes back to what we started to talk a little bit about before, which is the theater as a safe space uh, and the benefits that theater can have for mental health, um, which I think is a big part of the mechanism at play here. It's it's working towards the catharsis of opening the show or the catharsis of going out and performing every night. Um, you're you know you're you're in this group of people who, if they're there if they're showing up at rehearsal if they're in the theater in any capacity then they have something in common with you they've got some of the same cultural reference points they've got most importantly the same goal which is getting to show up they're invested in the steps of the process they're going through the steps of the process with you you're experiencing the same stuff the same journey stresses etc so the, the group is going to bond right in terms of mental health you are allowing a character to express things instead of you which is, is it, you know, it has therapeutic uh, purposes in that way. Uh, you know, if, if, if you ha are dealing with depression, trauma, mental illness, you put it into the work and the character expresses it in a safe, in a safe setting. Moving with a group is, is social. It's exercise. Uh, it gets your endorphins going. Movement boosts your mood. Dancing. Singing requires breathing. Breathing is a part of almost any treatment for anxiety. Uh, you know, it, it gives you a perspective onto or, uh, or a window into the human experience. It gives you a, a way to engage with the human experience, again, in a safe place. It gives you a place to feel those powerful feelings with a support group. Those, those, and, and because you're right, as you say, people who are drawn to art are generally people who feel things very, very much. Feeling things very, very much is dangerous it's it's beautiful but it's also a high wire act and theater gives you a a safe place to engage with those feelings and at the end of it all you you get to perform something with with your friends that you've made right and and so that's great however i think that 
making that catharsis the, the, the primary goal and, and putting so much intense pressure on that catharsis. And at least in my own case, investing so much of my self-identity in that catharsis, it brings the whole thing up to that level of, of, of the high wire act. It brings the whole industry or the whole endeavor up to the level of your very keyed up emotions. Those, those keyed up emotions are important for art, emotional vulnerability, emotional availability, emotional work is important for art. But if you bring the whole endeavor up to that level, it's unsustainable and it's bound to fail. Something that I've come back to a number of times in my own self-examination of, of, you know, and I, I want to be careful how I say this because I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not a medical professional. I've, I've not, I have no qualifications to say this, but looking back, especially over my 20s, what I suspect were probably a lot of undiagnosed mental health issues. You know, something that I've come back to over and over again is, is in my own head is lowering the stakes. And I think that a lot of the time when art gets keyed up to those, to those emotional highs and lows, to create something successfully, you, you got to take it down a notch. You got to lower the stakes. You got to look at what's in front of you and, and do that work in a, in a, in a reasonable methodical way that takes into consideration people's, humanity, people's vulnerability, and people's boundaries. You know, everyone there is, is feeling those emotional highs and lows anyway. It shouldn't be the definitive thing that the process is, is pursuing. Josh ends his article by saying, we need to stop pretending we're okay. We're not. We're tired and crying in the dimmer room. Let's come out of the shadows into the light and do something about it. And there we are going to take a quick break and be back with some more right after this. Mm -hmm. 